If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Genesis, the third chapter, and the eighth through the thirteenth verse. Genesis chapter 13, 8 through 13. Now this message today, now stay with me, has two purposes. One, information. I trust that in this message you will receive information that will help you to understand uh, what's going on in our country and the climate that we're living in and how we got where we are. So there will be information. And the information may be disturbing. It may cause you to have all kinds of feelings. But it's information. It's true. It's been researched. But at the same time, we're not going to stay there. We're going to move on to exhortation. And that is this. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the question is, what can we do? You say, well, Brother Fred, it's out of our hands. No, it isn't. It is not. And so let's ask the Lord. In Genesis chapter 13, let let me give you a background. Now, Abraham, the father of the faith, God spoke to him and said, take your family, leave Ur the Chaldees, and go to the land that I've given you. And we all know that story. And it is very interesting that as Abraham got his family together, it was Abraham, his wife Sarah, and then there was also his brother's son, Abraham's nephew who was named Lot. And so the whole crowd, Lot included, left Ur of the Chaldees and went to the place that God told them to go. Now, Lot, everywhere Abraham went, Lot went. Abraham pitched his tent at Aran and built an altar to God. And Lot was right there. Pitched his tent and joined in making that altar to God. And then they moved to another place. And Abraham pitched his tent and built an altar to God. And there was Lot, his brother's son, that was right there with him. But then there became a dispute between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot, because they both had become very wealthy. Abraham was a very wealthy man, many flocks, many herds. Lot also had prospered and had many flocks and many herds. And so there was a conflict over where the herds would eat and how they would intermingle. And so there was a dispute. Well, Abraham said to Lot, he said, listen, you, you, you pick where you want to go. It's your choice. You pick where you want to go, and then whatever you don't go, I'm going to go. And that'll resolve the conflict. And they did just that. And in Genesis chapter 13, verse 8, here is Lot, who had built an altar to God, living under the influence of Abraham. Now he makes a choice. And he makes a wrong choice. But you read about it in Genesis 13, verse 8. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, 
like the land of Egypt, and go toward Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tent as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. A wrong choice. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. And Sodom was exceedingly wicked. The men of Sodom were exceedingly sinful and wicked before God. How many people do you know that are named Judas? Do you know anybody that's named Judas? I don't even know a dog that's named Judas. <laughs> but let me ask you another question. How many cities do you know named Sodom? Did you know I looked it up on the internet or somebody did for me? I can't find one city or town anywhere named Sodom. Why is that? I mean, I've heard some worse names than Sodom, hadn't you? I remember when I was in South Carolina, there was a city named Fourhold Swamp. That's not a good name. But there's a reason no one's named Judas. And there's a reason no city is named Sodom. Because everybody understands what Sodom stands for. Did you know that 15 times in the Word of God, it mentions Sodom and Gomorrah, 15 times. And as I looked at all the 15 times, this was the thing that disturbed me. Every time that God's Word mentioned Sodom, it was a warning to cities and places about the judgment of God that came on Sodom. Every reference to Sodom, not one reference that was not in some way implying the judgment of God that fell on Sodom could also fall on them if they rebelled and went their own way against God. And so, uh, obviously, there was a message there. In fact, there, is one, uh, there are two passages in the New Testament about Sodom. Well, really, there are three. But two of them speak of the judgment of God on Sodom. And I'm just going to read the one over in the book of Jude. It says, he tells us, first of all, in Jude verse 3, to, for us to earnestly contend for the faith that we as believers, he says, now I want you to earnestly contend for the faith that was delivered to your fathers. And then he says in verse 5, I want to remind you though, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he had reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that gray, great day. And as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality 
and having gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now here's the information. And I don't waste time, so it's important that I share this information with you. On June 26th, this year, a few days ago, the Supreme Court passed, handed down two decisions that greatly affect our nation now and the future of our nation. How serious they are and how devastating they are will only be seen in days to come. The first decision they passed down was they struck down Proposition 8 out of California. And Proposition 8 was this. When in 2008, California had a vote to define marriage. And you would think, well, California, it's a very liberal state. But to the surprise of all, over 7 million people in California voted and defined marriage as between a man and a woman. And that passed and it stood and same-sex marriage ended in California at that time. And the people had spoken. Well, a lower court in California ruled that that vote of the 7 million people was unconstitutional. Now, let me tell you about that lower court. The lower court that took up that decision had a homosexual as the judge. And so, therefore, we know the outcome. It had a partner for years. And so they declared Proposition 8, this smaller court, to be unconstitutional. Then they passed it on to a liberal court in, 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 in North Carolina. And it ruled that Proposition 8 was unconstitutional. Because it, quote, had prejudice and ill will toward uh, homosexuality. And so that went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, five to four, now think about it, one vote, five to four voted and upheld the decisions of the lower courts and said that truly Proposition 8 was unconstitutional. And so as a result of that, same-sex marriage has resumed in California. And the state is required to give all the same benefits to same-sex couples as the federal government is required to give the same benefits to same-sex couples as it is to heterosexual couples. So they struck down Proposition 8, which to me flies in the face of 7 million people who expressed their conviction, the biblical conviction, the conviction that has stood in Western civilization for thousands of years that marriage was between a man and a woman. But that's not the, mo the worst one. The worst one is when the, the second decision they passed down was they declared DOMA as unconstitutional. Now, what is DOMA? It's the Defense of Marriage Act. Now, you've got to understand the Defense of Marriage Act. Now, what is that? Now, get this. In 1996, over 300 legislators in the House and the Senate voted and approved DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, 
that marriage was between a man and a woman and recognized its root in, in morality, in Judeo-Christian morality, and in, in the history of Western civilization. And the Defense of Marriage Act was passed by our legislature, and get this, was signed by Bill Clinton. Okay, so it has stood. Now, of course, since then, Bill Clinton has waffled and said he made a mistake in signing it. Well, I think God controlled him, and that's why he signed it in the first place. But anyway, they said, well, that's unconstitutional. They said the Defense of Marriage Act is not constitutional. Why? Now, let me tell you why. This was their ruling. They said that it showed malice and prejudice and ill will toward those of homosexual behavior and those of same-sex marriage persuasion. It says uh, it, it, it it was passed because people were prejudiced and bitter and hateful toward people of the homosexual persuasion. And so it denied and said, and the Justice Kennedy who wrote the, the thing supporting that decision and said it's just that uh, we're not going to let Western civilization and the morals of the Judeo-Christian community determine what marriage is or isn't. Just think, this is one of our Supreme Court justices that said it, it, it was your hatred and an ill will toward them that caused it. It's unconstitutional and they struck it down. And now if there's same-sex marriage in any state, that state has to recognize it. But now here's the thing. And, 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 and let me just tell you, like, like, like an article I read, we're just waiting for other shoe to fall now. That means this. The Supreme Court said that defining marriage is between a man and a woman shows animosity and ill will toward people who are not heterosexual And they passed that. That was a decision of the Supreme Court. Now, all a person has to do in a state is to file a lawsuit against the state saying, you're depriving me of my constitutional rights by not allowing me to marry someone of the same sex. That's all they have to do. And in fact, a person in Alabama, a legislator from up north Alabama who is a open lesbian, has said that she's go- she said the legislature in Alabama will never, ever pass a law giving equality to same-sex marriage. So I, we're going to file a suit, and we're going to do it through the courts. And I guarantee you, in every state where there is not same-sex marriage, there will be a suit filed. It'll go through the process. And ultimately will end up, ultimately will end up one of them before the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court has already shown favor in striking down DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. And what will happen is the Supreme Court will rule that it is unconstitutional not to permit same-sex marriage. And it'll be just like Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade, they passed a, 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 a the Supreme Court said that abortion uh, is, is a constitutional right. Uh, for the protection of women, and Roe versus Wade was passed, and abortion became legal by the judicial system in every state. And that is exactly the next step in this. Suit will be filed, it'll get to the Supreme Court, and in light of their decision, 
What they will do then, they'll say it's unconstitutional to to deny same-sex marriage. There's moral hatred or ill will against homosexual people. And so they'll they'll rule against it. And then there will be a Roe versus Wade decision, quote, unquote. It's not going to be called that where it'll be unconstitutional not to have same-sex marriage in every state. And this is the thing that is so disturbing. When the Constitution was founded, there were three branches of government. The executive, the legislative, and the judicial. Our nation is no longer governed even by the executive or the, uh, or the legislative. It is governed by the judicial. Who took prayer out of schools? A decision of the Supreme Court. Who, who, who said that, that abortion is legal in every state? A decision of the Supreme Court. Who struck down all the laws against homosexuality in 2003 in the states? The Supreme Court. Who just declared that Proposition 8 was unconstitutional and struck down the vote of over 7 million people in in California, the Supreme Court? And who said that the Defense of Marriage Act is unconstitutional because people who signed it and voted for it had ill will and prejudice and animosity toward those of that persuasion? And so we understand that what we did in those two decisions, and you didn't do it and I didn't do it, was this. (laughs) You know what we did? We pitched our tent toward Sodom. That's exactly what we did. We just took a left turn and started moving into Sodom. You know, there's a progression in Lot. You see, Lot started out with Abraham. And Lot pitched his tent where Abraham pitched his tent. And Lot worshipped God like Abraham worshipped God. But then when the time came to make a decision, Lot decided because of the well-watered plains that he would pitch his tent close to Sodom. But that's not where he stayed. There he was living right outside of Sodom. Well, his children had to go to school, so they went to school in Sodom. And they made all their friends in Sodom. And one day, Lot's wife said, you know, it's awful inconvenient for us to have to take the children into Sodom and let them go to school. Why don't we just, you know, we've been living in this tent long enough. Why don't we just buy a house and settle down in Sodom? So they moved from outside of Sodom, notice progression, and they moved into Sodom. And guess what? Two of their daughters married two men that lived in Sodom. And so now Lot has gone all the way from walking with Abraham till he's living in Sodom and has two son-in-laws who were raised in Sodom. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. For some reason, I don't know why, for some reason, Lot gained favor with the people of Sodom because he he remained a righteous man. And guess what? Lot was elected mayor of Sodom. He was the mayor. How do we know that? In Genesis chapter 19, when the two angels got to Sodom, the Bible says that Lot was sitting in in the gate of Sodom, which is the place of the mayor. 
he was sitting there and he saw these two two or three angels and he said look come on to my house and stay with me now let me tell you what kind of happened in the meantime in Genesis chapter 18 and, and you can read this and you need to read 12 and 13 of Genesis and 17 and 18 of Genesis in the meantime while all this was going on and Lot had moved into Sodom and came the mayor and all this kind of stuff uh, three angels appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18 and they said to Abraham God's going to give you this land reiterated it, and said you're going to have a son a son of promise and you know in Genesis 18 when Sarah heard that she just laughed she said are you telling me that a hundred I'm gonna have a baby she just laughed and they later said well Sarah you laughed she said I did not they said you did laugh and she did I don't know if she was afraid or just thought everybody was crazy I don't know what it was but uh, so they those men stayed with Abraham the angels talked to him gave him the promise and then they said we're going to go over to Sodom and listen to what God said he said Abraham is my uh, follower he's my obedient child shall I keep from Abraham what I'm fixing to do to Sodom shall I not tell him who is my son in the faith shall I not tell him what is going to happen to Sodom and so the Lord said to Abraham, said, look, in chapter 18, he said, the wickedness of Sodom has come up before me. And I'm sending these angels into Sodom to check things out. And if it is as I see it, then I'm going to destroy it. Well, now you know the story. Abraham began to plead with the Lord. He said, God, if there are 45 righteous people in Sodom, Will you spare it? God said, yeah. And he went, well, Lord, if there's 40 people, righteous people in Sodom, will you spare it? God said, yes. And they went down the line, and Abraham, he was pleading before God. Because he was pleading for Lot. I mean, Lot was his, his, his nephew. He was pleading for him. He said, Lord, if there are 10, if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom, Will you spare it? God said, yes. I think there's a message there for us of how Abraham pleaded before God for God to have mercy and for God to move in a powerful way. But the two men, the three men got to, uh, to Sodom and, and Lot said, you stay in my house. They said, no, we're going to stay in the square. And Lot knew that, boy, that wasn't going to work. He said, no, you stay with us. And they went and stayed in Lot's house and he fed them. But then all the men of the city surrounded Lot's house and commanded them. And these are the exact words in Genesis 19. And commanded Lot to send the three angels or the two or three out so that they could lie. Here's the words carnally with them said, send out those men because we want to lie carnally with them. And Lot said, no, I'm not going to send it out. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And they said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Well, we're going to get you. And they started to the door of Lot to grab Lot and put him, pull him out into the city 
But the angels intervened and struck the people blind. So they couldn't find the door to Lot's house. And this was the words. The angel said, Lot, you get out of here. And you got to get out of here before noon tomorrow. You have got to leave Sodom. He said, have you got any children? He said, yeah, we got two daughters and, that live with us. And we got two daughters and two son-in-laws. He said, well, you go, you, you, you get your family and you get out of here. And you get out of here as quick as you can because the fire of God is going to fall on this place. Well, Lot went to his son-in-laws and you know what? They laughed at him. You know, I guess his daughters and their son-in-law had lived in Sodom long enough that they thought that was the way people ought to live. And so his son-in-laws laughed and joked. And, but the next morning, Lot and his wife and his two daughters, the, the angel said, now you get up into the mountains because God's not only going to destroy this city, he's going to wipe out the whole plain every city in the plain because they're all overrun with sexual immorality and Lot said well I can't listen it's not going to be safe for me to go to the mountains and it's all in chapter 19 Genesis it's not going to be safe for me to go to the mountains let let me let me go to the, uh, this city over here that's close by called Zor and let me go there and the angel said okay we won't destroy that city you can go to there but you get over there as quick as you can well Lot and his wife and his two daughters left Sodom. And when they did, fire and brimstone fell from heaven and completely consumed all the cities on the plain that were controlled and eaten up with sexual immorality. Just absolutely burned them up. But you know, evidently, Lot's wife had gotten comfortable in Sodom. She'd made friends. And you know what she did? You know, you know that story. She looked back, and God turned her into a pillar of salt. I want you to think about this. The next day, Lot got out and and the, he saw the cities, the smoke coming up from Sodom and Gomorrah and their surrounding cities. Do you imagine that maybe he decided he would go back where his wife looked back? And you think maybe that he put some flowers on that pillar of salt? What do you think was going through Lot's heart? When he walked around that pillar of salt. Do you think maybe he was saying, man, I wish I'd never pitched my tent towards Sodom. Boy, I'd give anything if I hadn't moved into Sodom. I'd give anything if my children had not married men from Sodom. Can you imagine what went through Lot, who was a righteous man? but ended up in a wicked place. When the Supreme Court passed those two decisions, we made a direct turn toward Sodom. Okay, it comes to the, 
That's the information. Now here's the exhortation. What can we do about it? I may tell you really what I'd like to do about it, but I may not. (laughs) To be honest with you, I may, and then I'll just let the chips fall where they may. But first of all, in the book of Jude, and in 2 Peter, where it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah as being examples of those who live ungodly. They both are talking about earnestly contending for the faith. Earnestly contending for the faith. So, vocally and fearlessly, vocally and fearlessly, we have to say, from the beginning of creation, up throughout this time, Marriage is between a man and a woman. God made a male and a female, and the two became one flesh. And what God joined together, let not man put asunder. So regardless of what the Supreme Court says, regardless of what anybody says, we say no. Marriage is between a man and a woman, and any other kind of union is wicked, ungodly, and is a sin against a holy God. We, we have to do that. But you're bigoted. No, we're not. We're Christians. But you're prejudiced. No, we're not. We're Christians. Well, you, you have animosity. No, we believe that the word of God is true. It's true. And what, when God says it, that settles it. And the Supreme Court can pass all the laws they want to pass, but they are nothing in the sight of Almighty God. And they will answer to God. They will answer to God because of it. They will answer to God. And Justice Kennedy, who was a leader in the 203 decision to to, uh, prohibit the laws against homosexuality in the states, and Judge Scalia said at that time, well, it's going to lead to same-sex marriage if we do this. And and, And Kennedy said, no, it won't happen. He's the same one that absolutely wrote a a favorable opinion on these two propositions that just passed. I'm telling you, man, one day he's going to go to a higher court. Did you know that? And it ain't going to be the Supreme Court. It's going to be the court of the living God. And I praise God for it. So we've got, listen, we cannot be silenced. I don't care if they call us bigots. I don't care if they call us unloving. I don't care if they call us unkind. That is not true. We love people. We love sinners. We want people to be saved. We want them to be born again by the Spirit of God. We want them to go from darkness to light and from death to life and from being in the family of the devil into the family of God. That is our heart. That is our passion. That is what we preach. That's why we go out. That's why we tell people about Jesus. We don't want anyone to perish. And we tell them the truth because if you love somebody, you'll tell them the truth. So we have got to earnestly contend for the faith. And buddy, it will cost you. It will cost you. I think the day will come, probably. It's already happened in Canada. If you speak out openly against the subject of homosexuality and this other that I'm doing now, they will arrest you. It's already true in Canada. 
And see, they're saying that our whole problem is we have prejudice and hatred. And that's not true. That is not true. It's a lie. It is a big lie. If anybody loves people living in sexual immorality and away from God, we do because we want them to repent and miss a devil's hell that's awaiting them. So we've got to earnestly contend for the faith. We cannot be silent. And don't you let anybody silence you. Don't you let them silence you in high school. Don't you do it. Don't you let a teacher silence you. When they try to make you, to, to brainwash you with this bit about, you know, it's just, uh, it's just an alternate lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. Don't you, don't you buy into that. Don't you do it. That is a lie. But now here's the second thing we've got to do. And this is where it's tough. And, and, and it's going to hit some of you right slap in the face. And it's going to hit me. Now, I want you to listen to me. If we are going to be able to stand against the tide of evil, everybody in this room have to list, live explicitly sexually pure lives. We must live ourselves in sexual purity. Or how can we ever say anything about those who are not sexually pure? Now, to be honest with you, the number of people who are, have chosen the alternate lifestyle or the homosexual or lesbian lifestyle, they, they, they are a minority. You think, well, no, no, they just got money and they're just loud and they control the media. That's what it is. But I, I'm, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll give it a large figure, maybe 20%. Are, 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 are engaged in that lifestyle. And I think I'm being generous when I say that. But you've got to understand, that means that 80% of us are heterosexuals. And, and let me tell you something right now. There's 10,000 times more heterosexual sin in this country than there is homosexual sin. Oh, it is. Well, you say, Brother Fred, that we shouldn't speak out against homosexuality. I'm not saying that. What do you think I'm doing right now? But I am saying to you, we can't speak out against them if we're living impure and unholy lives. Have you ever read what the Bible says about adultery? You ever read what it says about fornication? Have you ever read what it says about pornography? Hey, you know, I'm just saying to you, you know, how can we point out the, 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 the telephone pole in their eye if we're not willing to deal with the speck in our own eye? 80% of sexual sin is against, uh, uh, involves male heterosexuals. So what I'm saying is this. We must speak up for sexual purity. And we must speak up. Uh, hey, for example, I want to ask you a question. Is it right for a man to live with a woman and not be married to her? No. Well, that's sin. We can't be selective in the sin that we have outrage against. It's almost like we turn our, our, our cheek to, to, the, to, to the heterosexual sin and we just zero on this other sin. They're both sin and they're both hideous before God and they're both wicked and God's going to judge it. Amen? Well, adultery's not too bad. Who said adultery wasn't too bad? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Well, that's just part of things. You know, you know, it's nothing for two people to live together today and not be married. Oh, it may be nothing, but it's a sin against a holy God. We wink at it. We say, well, boy, we, we can really go after 
the, the, uh, the deviant lifestyle, but then we want to turn our, look, look, you can't do, we can't do that. We cannot do that. We'll lose our influence and power. We have to live sexually pure lives ourselves. And that means that you can't watch programs where people are half naked and having sex outside of marriage. That means you can't watch pornography. That means that you can't pay your money to go see an R-rated movie where they're given a view of marriage that is totally corrupt and not true. It means that we have to come and raise the standard of holiness in our life about pure living. Usually, I, my wife and I watch the 10 o'clock news on Channel 5. We watch Channel 10, 2 at 9, so I'm not, I'm not promoting any channel. But um, I watch it and my wife sleeps in the chair. But anyway, <laughs> last night after the news was over, I just finished working on this message and was on the way to, and, and, and had had a chance to cut TV off. And this program had come on that was rated the number one comedy in television for the last five or seven years. Now, I, I can't even remember the name of it. What, it's, about the, it's about these three boys that live in this apartment together, you know. And what's the name of that program? Anybody know? Don't be ashamed to tell me. I just forgot. Anybody know what the name of it is? Well, Lord, I can't believe that. Somebody, did somebody tell me? But anyway, it doesn't matter. Let me tell you what. This was the scene, and I was just going by, and I'm going to cut the TV off, going to the, to the bedroom to go to bed, and here was a girl laying beside a boy, and she was covered up because she didn't have any clothes on, and he was laying there, and they weren't married, and he said, well, I hope this never ends, and then I heard her say this, well, why can't we just live together? Now, that shows you exactly why a lot of people live together. Because they've been told on television, it's all right to live together. Somebody hadn't told them what God's word says. Listen, we can't keep silent, but we've got to live pure and righteous and godly lives. And we've got to be as angry about sexual sin about, between heterosexuals, not them, but the sin as we are about the homosexuals. We cannot be selective in our stand against immorality. And by the way, let, let me just tell you what somebody told me. And buddy, I'm, I'm so thankful they challenged me. They said, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Paul did. He said, and I don't like Paul. Well, that, that's his problem. But he said, oh, Jesus never, oh, he, he's wrong. Jesus spoke over in Mark 7. He said, out of the heart proceed fornications, adulteries, and fornication is any type of sexual sin outside of marriage. So Jesus said that. It's not that which goes within a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man. And, and Jesus said, and what comes out of a man is lying and stealing and uh, adultery and fornication. But oh, wait a minute. That's not, that's not the deal. Twice, twice in the New Testament. Now, when they tell you that Jesus never said anything about it, you, you, you say, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. Twice in the New Testament, Jesus talked about marriage. And in both cases, he went back to Genesis. And he said, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Every time Jesus spoke of marriage, it was between a man and a woman. Never any other way. 
So the fact that Jesus didn't speak out against it when he spoke against fornication and spoke about marriage as God ordained, he, he let it be known that there was, it, it, I'm not going to say it never conceived to Jesus because he knew all things, but man, he didn't really think that was the issue right then. So we've got to earnestly contend for the faith. We've got to live sexually pure lives so that we, we can speak against sexual immorality. Love the sinner, but speak against the sin. We cannot be silent. And, and here's the third thing. We need, we need the compassion of Abraham. Abraham, he hated what was going on in Sodom. He did. And it broke his heart that his nephew was in Sodom. But you know what Abraham did? He pled with God. He said, oh God, if there's 45, if there's 40, if there's 35, if there's 30 righteous people, will you spare Sodom? He didn't want Lot to be consumed. Now listen, we hate sin, but we've got to love sinners, and we've got to pray for them. We've got to cry out to God for them, and we love this nation, and we've got to pray for this nation, and we've got to cry out to God for this nation. And I, I'm telling you, that video got it right. The hope for this nation is not in the White House. The hope for this nation is in God's house. And we've got to pray. Folks, it, it, hey, we took a right turn right toward the heart of Sodom. And I'm telling you, God said two times, there are examples. There are examples to those that afterward live ungodly. If you think that God will overlook America's choice in sin, it's not our choice. I know that. But if you think God's going to overlook it, then you don't believe the word of God because he said he would not overlook it. So we, we don't need to be bitter. We don't need to be angry. We don't need to be prejudiced. We just need to love people, but we need to speak openly about marriage, what it is and how God ordained it and it'll never be any other way. And at the same time, we have got to live sexually pure lives. And then the next thing we've got to do is pray for revival in the church and pray for our nation and pray for people that you know are living wicked and ungodly lives. You, it's, it's, it takes nothing to judge them, but it takes something to pray for them. I, I'll be honest. I just, when I saw where we were and heard the founding fathers and began to think about it, my heart was broken. Then I realized where we are. And I tell you, God's got to intervene, folks. He's got to intervene. He is our only hope, I'm telling you. And we've got to pray. And we've got to pray. And we've got to be vocal. And we've got to live godly lives. And we got to take a stand. And then, if that, the, uh, now this is where I'm going to go and get in trouble and, and, and say and pray. And then, if the government says no, at Luke 4:18 you have to recognize same-sex marriage. If they say you at Luke 14 cannot speak against out against adultery or alternate lifestyles, when they say that, th they've crossed the line. And I want to say to you, we ought to obey God rather than men.
Yeah. And I'm going to say this. I don't think the coup in Egypt was bad. They overthrew the Muslim Brotherhood. Thank God. I don't think it was bad. I think the people said, you're not going to force your way of living on us. And I want to say this to the Supreme Court and anybody. You're not going to force your way of life on us. We will not do that. We will not do that. And I'll be honest with you, if we have to get in the streets and march, and I believe there'd be millions that would march, and it would take a lot of jails to put us all in jail. So they've already crossed the line, but I think they're going to cross it more, and they're going to try to shut us up, and they're going to try to silence us. And I'm going to tell you what Peter and John, Paul and them said, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that's exactly what we're going to do, no matter what it costs. But we've got to live holy lives, and we've got to pray, and we've got to be vocal and contend for the faith in the mighty name of Jesus.